Greetings, everybody, and welcome back to the Mental Health Awareness Hour with Dr. Destin, your preeminent authority on mental health in podcast form. Today, I have a very special guest joining me, my good friend, the magnanimous Dr. Kobe. He's here to tell us all about his new book, Pat on the Back, helping you to help me help everybody. One man's journey to self-acceptance. Dr. Kobe, I'm listening. Well, Dustin, it's uh, it's good to be here. I'm glad to discuss my book for such a, such a valiant purpose. Uh, I think there's a lot of people out there that need to get on that journey themselves, and I'd like to teach them how to do that. That's fantastic, Doctor. You know, I was reading your book for the 40th time right before you joined me today, mm-hmm. and I've got to say, your recent discoveries have really pushed forward the needle on mental health. Yes, it, it, it turns out that um, having donkey brains is actually better for the human body than having human brains. So we're working on uh, a method of removing everyone's brain in the public and replacing it with something a little better. Yes, yes. I, I wholeheartedly agree with your research. And anything I can do to help, you know, I will. Well, I'm glad you asked that, Destin, because I think the first step to really getting mental health is becoming insane yourself. Oh, well, good thing I'm already insane then. <laughs> yes, you are, Dr. Destin. Yes, you are. <clears throat> Well, uh, okay. Uh, sorry, everybody. Uh, th- this is not the Mental Health Awareness Hour. This is actually the Synchronicity Podcast. I'm really sorry that I pulled the wool what? over you... all of your eyes. Have you duped me? Yeah, yeah, I, I've duped you. I, I mean, you know, I, I just admitted that I was insane. So, you know, here I think that I'm doing a podcast about mental health. And, and no, it, it, it's in fact a movie podcast. I don't know anything about movies. You don't? I'm a doctor. Am I not talking to the ever-illustrious Kobe? Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. What are we discussing? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, we're not, we're not psychiatrists. You know, we're not here to talk about tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Uh, but we are, in some way, talking about mental health today, Kobe. You know why that is? You want to tell our listeners? Because we're talking about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. That's right. This week, the movie we're discussing is none other than the 1975 classic One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, directed by Milos Forman. Kobe, you've seen this movie before, right? Uh, yeah, I'd say it's, it's one of my favorites, in a, in a manner of speaking. Well, I haven't yet, and you know, it's been on my list for a really long time now. Mm-hmm. And uh, our collective friend, uh, Kyle, who didn't want to be part of the podcast today, he really loves this movie. He puts it in his top ten. And, you know, while you and I were trying to figure out what movie we were going to talk about this week, he, he brought up One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And, you know, I got to thinking, uh, considering the state of the world and what we've been through in the past year, you know, the pandemic and a divisive election, all the protests and the fights for social change. Mm-hmm. It's it's just been such a long and taxing year, right? <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's a little little rough on the the mind for sure. I think I think the whole lockdown thing has been a pretty like bad in itself, um, 
on a lot of people's uh, mental health. So, Right. I mean, more than ever, like the collective psyche and the collective mental health of the world at large have just been pushed to their limits. So, I mean, I don't know. Honestly, I'd say a movie that kind of exists as a deep dive into mental illness in cinematic form is is just such an excellent choice for 2021 mm -hmm. as we enter hell year 2.0 <laughs> yeah it's 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 hard to be optimistic right now but i don't know i guess just hope <laughs> yep we can all hope and and you know what the vaccination rollout is happening it's not going as efficiently as it should be but Hopefully there is hope. That's as best we can put it. But in the meantime, <laughs> let's talk about mental health and let's talk about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is an adaptation of a 1962 book by the same name, directed by Milos Forman. It's the story of Randall Patrick McMurphy, or Mac, a rabble-rousing, chaotic, petty criminal, who has been taken off his state-imposed work detail and placed in a mental hospital for an evaluation of the state of his mental health. The doctors at the hospital are suspicious of Max, and Mac and rightly so, assuming he's playing up this crazed character to get out of doing work and serving his sentence. During his stay, Mac meets a colorful cast of characters in his fellow ward mates and in the hospital staff, especially the controlling and rigorous Nurse Ratched. Like a storm, Mac's chaotic and impetuous nature quickly begins to spread to his fellow patients, and the rigid control exercised over the hospital by the ever-watchful staff is threatened at every turn. Kobe, like I said earlier, you've seen this movie before. Uh, why don't you go ahead and, and lead us in? And of course, uh, the, the, a warning for everyone, we will be talking spoilers. If you haven't seen this movie yet, it can be found on HBO Max. Uh, please... Please watch it. It's it's very good, and I think that you would not want spoilers for this one, for sure. So, Kobe, why don't you give your thoughts? Well, I hate to just jump right into um, uh, sort of talking just broadly about what I liked, um, but I think this film in particular has one strong element uh, over all the others. I mean, obviously... Uh, I think all the elements are strong, whether it be like camera work and uh, set pieces and the plot itself. But um, I think the acting in this film, the performances by pretty much everyone involved, uh, really makes this film what it is. Because when you when you're trying to depict like mental health, you need something that's real and not. Um, overacted because if it's overacted you go into comedy territory or like horror territory and that's not really what you want uh, when you're trying to realistically depict mental health and you're trying to depict these people in the best way possible um, because obviously there's a lot of films that play up mental health as some sort of uh, motive for like evil actions and that sort of thing whereas this film some of these characters may do things uh, that aren't necessarily morally uh, correct. Maybe 
maybe not like reprehensible, but like certainly not good things. But um, their their performances by the actors um, make their mental health seem real. Like it's not just being played up for the audience. It's it's something that feels uh, clean and you're able to just get sucked into the world very well. Uh, Jack Nicholson, especially, as uh, Randall, is, I think, especially well done because he he has this sort of uh, midline where you're not really sure if he's playing it up or if he's actually, you know, mentally unwell. And I think the way he he performs with his with his co-actors and the way he sort of um, interacts with them it feels supernatural which uh, <laughs> not supernatural but like uh, very I keep using the word real but that really is the best way to describe it I think and uh, that is for sure the strongest attribute of this film in my opinion um, and because of how good the performances are, it doesn't really let up. Well, absolutely. I would totally agree with you. The, the cast is really wonderful here. Each character is, and there are a lot of them, mm -hmm. honestly. And we get a lot of screen time with each of them too, but each character is perfectly cast and, and feels like a really unique individual. You know, like everyone has their like aesthetics and affectations and they all provide like different qualities of entertainment, uh, you know, from from the hilarious Martini <laughs> played by uh, a, a young Danny DeVito, mm -hmm. you know, this this kind of just uh, simple <laughs> is the best way I can describe him character. He's just in the background of these scenes and every once in a while he just says something that's hilarious or he does something that's hilarious you know i mean i i loved the scene when they're uh playing blackjack and they're they're gambling with cigarettes and and you know mac has them making their bets and he's explaining that each cigarette's worth a dime and you know here martini comes and snaps a cigarette in half and says he's betting a nickel mm -hmm. and of course you know I, I mean i don't think anyone would want to win half a cigarette <laughs> You know, you want to win the whole cigarette and not have to smoke what amounts to uh, an unfiltered half of a death stick. <laughs> but so at any rate, uh, you know, the, the cast is fantastic. Like I say, uh, beyond him, I really liked Cheswick, hmm. uh, played by Sidney Lassick. He was, he was just this, like, sensitive... <laughs> I don't know. He was a sensitive soul. He he was really funny. He had a lot of funny lines. I, there's another great scene with him where they're doing group therapy. And, you know, this is about, like, the start of the third act of the movie. And all of the fellow ward mates of Mac are starting to get heated <laughs> after he starts this, like big argument and here you have cheswick just demanding that he gets his cigarettes he just keeps asking about his cigarettes and and he's not getting a satisfactory answer he just keeps freaking out more and mm -hmm. 
the performance that the actor is giving is it really feels like you're watching a child have a temper tantrum <laughs> yeah uh yeah so like i say tons of fantastic characters um the acting is definitely a a strong point of this movie and how can you have a movie with a a cast of you know like potentially mentally deranged characters and not have them at least be distinct and interesting and i was actually surprised by how wholesome Mm. some of the characters are Mm -hmm. i mean i wasn't expecting the movie to be like really harsh on mental illness or you know really depressing the entire way through but there were a lot more scenes in this movie that were funny Mm -hmm. than i was expecting and and heartwarming yeah it's definitely like a good a good mix of of tragedy and and i don't know like soft like like a warm feeling um the interactions between some of the patients definitely warrants like a it just makes you feel good and you feel good for these people um like when they go out and they um they like take a boat out and they're just they're like fishing um as silly as that scene sounds maybe from like uh, an outsider i think when you're watching it it just feels like like a release for yourself because uh every scene inside the hospital it it sort of feels um claustrophobic um you're seeing all these people sitting around and nurse ratchets you know hammering hammering down rules and the walls are all white and everything feels samey so you get this release this break from all of that and they they go out boating and it's just like really it feels really nice i i agree that this film had a lot more heartwarming content than i expected from something like this yeah well and and like you said about how like when you're in the hospital you know everything feels really sterile i mean it's a sanatorium Mm -hmm. so it's exactly what you'd expect everything feels like oppressive and clean and sterile and unambiguously unstimulating Mm -hmm. and then you know when when they stage this like little prison break which i mean it's not really a prison break because most of these patients are technically allowed to leave Mm -hmm. minus mac of course but this little journey into the outside world after being in the hospital for the entire like first half of the runtime it's kind of like a a breath of fresh air Mm -hmm. it's it is it's a it's a hilarious sequence of events that lead up to them getting onto this boat and you know you kind of all of the rest of the movie and all the rest of the movie's emotions aside like through this entire sequence you'll have a smile on your face because these characters you can tell that they're having a good time and they're really enjoying themselves and yeah it it just it makes for comedy gold and then it kind of makes it all the more harsh when they come back to that dock and like this this little brief sojourn they've had this little dream or vacation whatever you want to call it is over and now here they are going back to the hospital 
I was surprised by how little they were punished after this event, <laughs> honestly. Which, they're patients in a mental health, so they really shouldn't be punished. Right. But I was expecting there to be more repercussions, at least for Mac, than there were. Mm -hmm. But all that being said, you still you get back to the hospital, and it makes that oppressive kind of white-walled sanitary claustrophobia hit you all the harder mm -hmm. for the rest of the movie yeah um i mean as as many wholesome moments as there are of course as i mentioned it's also incredibly tragic there's a lot of like really hard moments in this in this film um like things that stick with you for a long time whether it be um the character I can't remember his name um ah oh, Billy Billy um I believe it's it's after a night of like hard partying they have they have women over and they have the um the night like the night shift guy sort of they they basically bribe him into letting these women in and uh let them party and that sort of thing which, well, and it's this party that's happening. It's supposed to be Max going away party. Yeah, you know, like this is this is his prison break, so to speak. Mm -hmm. He's planning on running to Canada, and he kind of brings his two friends, <laughs> whatever they are, in to not only get him out, but give these patients that he's kind of developed these relationships with a. A final send-off, a goodbye. Mm -hmm. um, and specifically, Billy, uh, it's it's a little bit of a weird interaction, but um, I believe Mac basically convinces one of his friends to sleep with him. And it's like, it feels oddly like, oh, okay. Um, but as the night goes on, I think it becomes a little bit more anxiety-inducing, thinking about what the possible repercussions are going to be, because obviously uh, Nurse Ratched, uh, she is doing her job, but she is sort of a hard-ass, um, and this sort of like this sort of action is obviously not uh, not just going to be shrugged off. Um, so the next day, uh, she arrives, sees them all laying there drunk, like uh, with a hangover, and there's these random women inside the hospital. And obviously, uh, rightfully so, Nurse Ratchet is very angry with with the situation. Uh, this is like probably the climax of the film, technically. Uh, the uh, like the big boiling point where the pot spills over um and she's talking to billy about his his mother and what she would think about this whole situation and he's getting very upset and uh, i believe she has some orderlies take him to the back office um things get out of hand and uh billy shoots himself and 
No, I, well, that's that's what it that. is. I don't I don't remember. It, oh, does how does long he go? You watch this. He he uses a piece of broken glass to slit his throat. Okay, that's what I thought it was. Sorry. Okay, sorry everyone. Uh, yeah, it has it has been a little bit. I'm I'm not exactly super fresh, but yeah, it's uh, all the same. In that it's it's this moment where you have this character you're warming up to throughout the entire film, and he's very clearly in a lot of distress, but you, you feel for him. So this moment, which is essentially, I mean, uh, it's at fault of the care facility itself because they haven't been the best on the treatment of their patients, but in a sense also Mac is very much to blame for this. Um, this wouldn't have happened. I mean, it's it's Billy's choice, but the events leading up to that were because of Mac's choice to try to give his fellow patients a taste of the outside world. Um, and that moment is is incredibly tragic when it actually happens, that it uh, it angers Mac, and obviously he tries to strangle Nurse, Nurse Ratchet, uh, which leads to the, the final act of the film. Well, and of, of course, you know, this is all kind of this whole sequence of events and the lead up and the payoff. It, it leads into this criticism of, like you said, the treatment of the patients and, and like how Nurse Ratched has been choosing to care for them. And, you know, we learn with Mac in, in one of these group therapy sessions uh, nearish the end of the film that and and he didn't realize this earlier that most of the patients are there voluntarily uh you know so most of these characters that you've developed they're they're in there by choice Un unlike mac they're in there by choice they don't need to be held they can choose to leave at any time so they've they've chosen to go into this hospital because they feel safer there and they're receiving treatment but you know, it starts to call into the question, like, what is the quality of this treatment that they're receiving? And it's good that you brought up the sequences with Billy, because I think that Billy is like one of the most tortured and interesting characters in this movie, because he's, he's presented, you know, he has this stutter, and he's presented as this kind of lonely character who maybe hasn't had the best luck with women. Mm -hmm. And you know, he, I think it looks like he probably has some, some pretty difficult to deal with social anxieties and social traumas. And he, of course, is there voluntarily. And we learn that he has made several attempts on his life in the past. And so this stutter and his stay in the hospital, it's all this, it's all by choice to protect him from himself and to help him hopefully gain some confidence, right? Mm -hmm. And so then I think it's really interesting in the scene that you're talking about where Billy does kill himself. Before this happens, when, when they find him in the room with the women, the hospital staff, for the first few lines that Billy says as he runs half naked out of the room and he's trying to talk to Nurse Ratchet and explain himself, he's not stuttering anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, he's had this night with this woman that he's attracted to, and it it seemingly has had a profound effect on him. 
you know, he, he made friends with Mac and he was starting to open up to Mac the night before. And, and then this happens and it, it feels like, yeah, Billy's still sick, but it feels like he's made a profound change happen in his life. And then Nurse Ragid, the, you know, tough bitch that she is, brings up how she knows Billy's mother. And she starts talking about telling Billy's mother about this. Now, how is that in any way conducive to Billy's mental health? She's his nurse. She's supposed to be helping to treat him. So what is tattletailing on him to his mother, how is that in any way supposed to help him? He clearly has, as was mentioned in some of the group sessions earlier in the movie, he clearly has some trauma with his mother. He, he clearly has definite mommy issues. And so the first thing that she leaps to is this judgmental attitude and she's telling him that she's going to like basically destroy his world by telling his mother and telling her how bad of a boy her son has been. Hmm. And the, Billy is supposed to be like a 30-year-old man. So I don't, you know, I mean, again, Nurse Ratchet is obviously upset and probably rightfully for a good reason. Obviously, it's not really appropriate what the patients did. Mm-hmm. And what Mac did for them also probably wasn't conducive towards their mental health. I mean, you have a bunch of people who have yeah, definite mental issues and they're they're binge drinking, <laughs> you know, like crazy. Mm-hmm. But her first idea, instead of trying to ease over the situation and help everybody get back on track, is to be judgmental and drag Billy back down into his trauma. And so can it be even a little bit surprising that this pressure that puts on Billy leads to him attempting another suicide? Yeah, she's very much manipulative throughout the entire film. Um, and in this moment, I think <laughs> hating her becomes a lot easier. Uh, you can make an argument through the rest of it that she's just trying to do her job and difficult people like Mac... Uh, leads to a lot harder to do her job. But at the same time, she's working in a mental health clinic. You're going to have to deal with difficult people. That's like almost certainly something that's going to happen every time because these people are not mentally well. They're, they're going to, they might overreact at something. They might uh, feel a certain way at a certain point for no reason. Uh, you can't really judge these people based on the standards of someone who has a healthy mental health. Um, and she's very much, like, seemingly, she's fed up with it the entire time. And it's it's a little frustrating, I guess. Because it's just a character, but you know full well that in plenty of mental health hospitals across the United States and across the world, there are people that are actually like this, that work in mental health clinics, and they treat these people like they're children, or they treat them like they're bad <laughs> bad little boys and girls that need to be punished, which is not the right way to do things. Um, and obviously, be- 
becoming this this like presence of evil to them is only going to hurt their chances of becoming better. Uh, if you come at them with accusations and you try to put them down for, for a mistake they've made, regardless of how big the mistake is, it's like you're only doing worse for their health. You're only poisoning the well, uh, therefore not doing your job. Yeah, well, and you know, I think it's, she's obviously going through kind of a power trip. Prior mm -hmm. to Mac arriving there, she has this perfect control over the ward. You know, she, she's absolutely in control of everyone in there. Mm -hmm. Everything is perfect and exactly to her liking. And so Mac kind of comes in there and he starts flipping all of these switches with these characters and getting them to act out. You know, these are people who, before he arrived, absolutely would not push her patience. They wouldn't chance anything like that, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. Most of them probably didn't even have an issue with her before Mac showed up. But that's because they never really questioned her power or her authority. And now, mind you, she does have authority over them, but the authority that she's wielding is forceful and controlling and, and like you said, manipulative. It's not healing, and it's not conducive towards their growth as people. <laughs> you know, it's, it's almost like they're her puppets or her playthings or her dolls. Like, I, I actually think that's a pretty good way of looking at it like the ward that mac gets put in is like her dollhouse and the patients in there are like her dolls so it, it can be asked if she's even really truly making an attempt <laughs> to help them yeah and i think if we're using that same like analogy then mac sort of comes in and he's just this uncontrollable puppet he's like uh he moves on his own he doesn't need human control to mess with his arms and legs he's just all over the place and he's a free spirit which does not work in a with someone that wants to be controlling of other people um and obviously i think mac mac has positives and negatives that he brings to the hospital uh negatives obviously um there's there's a point where Riling people up like this uh, will only lead to them hurting themselves or potentially, uh, you know, messing with their futures. Uh, but on the good side, I think he, he very much treats them like real people uh, and isn't just controlling them. I think Mac has an element of control, but it's not so much that he wants that control so much as he's just that kind of person. Uh, well, he, and... he's a rebel. I think he wants to, right. to break the cycle of control. He wants these mm -hmm. people to stand up for themselves and to be confident. Right. So when he, he comes to these people and he tells them there is something more than this, you know, you don't have to sit back and just let this happen. Don't you want to watch the World Series? Don't you want to uh, 
uh, go fishing. Don't you want to do something that you actually enjoy and not just sit here and talk about your problems all day, uh, potentially leading nowhere? I think Mac feels a genuine interest in helping them, uh, and he's a little bit of a selfish person at the same time. Yeah, I mean, his his help definitely is anything but magnanimous. I mean, he's he's pretty childish himself, mm-hmm. and you can take a lot of what he does in a manipulative direction, too. Right. I mean, I want to make it perfectly clear, you know, Mac, despite being the protagonist and the character that we follow through this movie, he's not necessarily... A good person yeah he he was imprisoned for a reason he has like several assaults under his belt and a statutory rape charge against a 15 year old so he's he's anything but a character that you really want to look up to mm-hmm. and he certainly is a smooth talker and he's manipulative and the argument can be made that is what he is doing for these other patients really healthy either. But it's different from the pressure that Nurse Ratchet is putting on these patients. Like every group session that she's doing, she chooses to fo- focus on, and I, I get that group sessions often work like this, but she's choosing to focus on a single person. She's singling one of the patients out. And you know, instead of letting them come to issues in their own time, she's just piling pressure on them until they start to hit a breaking point. And that could work, but in the way that she's doing it, it's indelicate and it doesn't really seem like it has a purpose. Mm -hmm. I think typically someone with mental health issues, not always, but very often... A lot of these people, like um, Cheswick, are closed off, um, close to themselves. They're not very social people. And as someone who doesn't necessarily like public attention uh, or just being noticed when you kind of want to just sink into the background, being singled out in a group meeting uh takes not only the purpose out of the group meeting, but you're essentially, you know, targeting someone uh, when all they want to do is maybe sit there. They may come out at their own time and want to say something, but you have to wait for that. You can't just force them to come out because either way, otherwise you're just, you're shaking them up. They're not going to look forward to these group meetings. You're essentially delaying any chance at growth. Yeah, and I mean, even as like the flow of the conversation in the group changes and, you know, perhaps could reach a like consensus that begins to work on a character, you know, like something that actually gets them to start coming out, she brings it back and again, reapplies pressure to the person that she's focusing on. And this can, again, this can be a tactic this, this theoretically could work, but it's in her hands. It's it's very indelicate, <laughs> right? I think. Sorry, you, you can go. I just I, I want to really 
uh, before we get too much into like other scenes and stuff that we liked, I mm -hmm. really want to compliment Jack Nicholson's performance mm -hmm. in this movie. Uh, you touched on it earlier. He's fantastic. He he just has this like frenetic energy that carries him from scene to scene. Like it, it really makes sense that these characters begin to like kind of shape around him and all fall into his wings in essence because he he just he comes in there and he's not only new but he's interesting and he just he comes in there with such force of will <laughs> and anything these characters are experiencing you know i mean they're they're still experiencing it but they're they're swept up by him it's it's very much an electric performance. Um, I think Jack Nicholson often has that, but uh, this is definitely an example of I think one of his best performances uh, because of how insanely charismatic and uh, against the norm he is. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, like like we said earlier, the acting is phenomenal all around, but. This movie is 1,000% carried on the shoulders of Jack Nicholson. I don't know what awards he won for this. I, I didn't look into that before we got into this, but he deserves them. And, mm -hmm. you know, I've heard, obviously, as we talked about last episode with um, Dr. Strangelove, I haven't really had a chance or taken the time to watch all the Stanley Kubrick movies. But this makes me even more excited for The Shining, which I can't say that I haven't been excited for, but, you know, we have another potentially, well, in that case, definitely mentally <laughs> ill character. Yeah. <laughs> that Jack Nicholson is, he, he has, he has this like crazy energy. Mm, yeah. Yeah. You know, he can really like imbibe this crazy energy into these characters. He can really make them feel, I mean, this is, he was, in my opinion, I mean, we're all going to compliment the Heath Ledger Joker, uh -huh. but don't sleep on the Jack Nicholson Joker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's great. He's he's a lot more like um, the maybe the comical style of the Joker, but that still works incredibly well, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's the tone of what the Joker was. Right. <laughs> in that time the, the, the serious batman wasn't really uh, a thing until <laughs> you know like christopher nolan and the era of comics in the early 2000s when things started to get a bit edgier mm -hmm. but yeah I, I i think that jack nicholson just has this really fantastic um intuition in playing mentally ill and <laughs> like heightened <laughs> heightened characters see i feel weird for mentioning this movie because it's not like it's not like a a classic by any stretch of the imagination but anger management even um which is like an adam sandler film has jack nicholson playing this truly insane like he's supposed to be the head of an anger management like counseling service, but he himself is like practically clinically insane. I think Jack Nicholson is is fantastic at playing insane people for sure. Insane or angry, 
He, he does <laughs> yes. anger very well. And, you know, yeah. it's because his he has such an emotive face. Mm-hmm. Like, you watch any movie with Jack Nicholson, and anger management is, is it absolutely is a good example. But he has he has such this uh, such a magical face for portraying different emotions very quickly, yeah. and and this movie is no different. You know, like Mac is like I said, he's a very frenetic character. You use the word electric. Uh, every every emotion that he has is expressed on his face and is hugely exaggerated and explosive. That's definitely uh, one of the strong suits of of his character. Uh, I think I really like the the difference. I think you mentioned it earlier how distinct each character is from one another. Uh, I think some of them fit an archetype in a in a shallow kind of way, but they all go beyond that. Um, like Billy is is very much this loner type character, but he expands and expands as the film goes on and he has this this great development of becoming someone who maybe trusts in himself a little bit more unfortunately we know how that ends um and you have cheswick becoming less sense well not less sensitive but more so willing to take on the things that he thinks are not right uh, whether it be not having his cigarettes or, or something that Nurse Ratched is is inflicting upon the group. By osmosis uh, and through Mac's company, he seems to be maybe a little bit more assertive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that, that, that scene where he's he's like demanding his cigarettes really, as much as it's a bit childish, I guess, uh, it's it's a great development for how he is uh at the beginning of the film um and like every character in this film has a distinct character that develops in some way some are more major than others but i think they all none of them end the film the way they were at the beginning yeah and i mean i completely agree with you on the fact that yes some of the archetypes are on the shallower side. Some of these characters pretty much just exist to embody their little affectation mm-hmm. and you know provide a little bit of an entertainment value out of that. But they all do feel distinct and you know I mean it's a really like strong cast. Mm-hmm. I there were so many like I, I when I get into a movie like this is a movie that has obviously been around for a very long time and I've known about it, but until I watch something I don't really, and I've I've changed with this over time and I, I especially feel like this now I don't like to like go on IMDb, and mm-hmm. read the cast and watch trailers I want to be surprised, mm-hmm. and so you know I was surprised when there's Christopher Lloyd you know, <laughs> yeah. And, there's Danny DeVito. <laughs> and and all of these characters are wonderful and they, they feel distinct. I, I, I did think that Christopher Lloyd did a, a great job too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and so, yeah, well, there are just so many surprising moments in the movie too for me. And, you know, I, want, I definitely want to bring up um, one of my favorite characters, Chief. Mm. 
who is a um, a major part of the movie and and where it goes and I, I really liked his character arc because he's kind of this it turns out this coy character this sly <laughs> character who's been pretending to be deaf dumb and mute <laughs> you know he's he's like this six eight immense mountain of a native american man <laughs> and mac is immediately curious about him you know i mean and who wouldn't be because here's just this massive man mountain sweeping <laughs> the floors and you know as the movie goes on mac has all these kind of like funny little interactions with chief where he like he's trying to teach chief how to play basketball <laughs> and he he actually kind of succeeds as it seems because they have a game later on and Again, Chief is so big that he just like reaches the ball into the basket and dunks it through. And then he goes to the other side and he, he grabs the net and closes it <laughs> for his method of guarding. I mean, he, he's, a, a, I guess, a pretty good basketball player at this point. <laughs> um, yeah. But we learn, and, and so does Mac, as, as these characters are about to go into electroshock therapy after the big group therapy explosion happens near the beginning of the third act that this entire time chief has been able to talk he's been able to understand just fine mac gives him a piece of gum and he just says thanks and and just like mac here we are left in surprise like oh you can talk yeah chief chief and um and mac's relationship through the whole thing is is one of the more wholesome parts of it i think uh, even though for much of the film Chief isn't speaking and he's acting like he doesn't understand anything Mac's saying, you just get this this really nice like friendship between them, uh, like a like a big brother and a little brother. Despite the fact that the little brother is is like two feet taller than you, uh, I really I really enjoy the relationship and uh, Chief sort of slowly becoming more and more uh emotive is is really entertaining too yeah well you know he's he's sly about it too like i said <laughs> he when when he reveals this and it reveals that he's been pulling the wool over the eyes of the staff at the hospital then you know he and mac can't help but share a laugh together and <laughs> it's they have an interesting relationship that ends up being kind of funny and and like i said earlier when we were talking about it surprisingly heartwarming and he specifically you know you talk about this little brother big brother dynamic but it goes even deeper than that because so, so like i say physically chief is this huge character but they have this conversation when mac is talking about escaping and he wants chief to come with him and he says that they can do it together and chief says that he can't do it and that he's not big enough and he <laughs> says that mac is big yeah and that's because mac is big he's confident and his personality is big and his energy is big chief doesn't have that internal strength that's why chief despite being this huge mountain doesn't feel big he doesn't feel like he can do it but through again Mac's presence in the movie, he 
finds that strength by the end. And after, you know, here, spoiling the end of the movie here, after Mac is lobotomized, you know, Mac now, the, the big character, has been made small by the hospital. They took away his strength. They took away his energy. Mac as a character no longer exists at this point. But Chief is big now. Chief did find the strength. Chief decides to mercy kill Mac. I, I you know, this is a decision that he makes, I think, because he can't he can't stand to see this quiet and not entirely there Mac. And so he mercy kills him and, and winds up ripping up the water fountain that Mac insists that he can lift and and fails to do so and loses a bet earlier in the film. He rips it out of out of the piping and throws it through the window and you know we conclude the film on Chief running off into the woods. <laughs> and you know he he found his confidence and I don't know it's it's an it's a beautiful transformation. It's it's super like tragic but incredibly triumphant yeah very much so well kobe do you have any more thoughts on the movie i i think that about sums up all of mine well um i know we talked about the characters a lot like pretty much only the characters in this film but when i say that the acting is what makes this film i mean it i think the performances and the character work um and like their interactions together are really the strongest part of this film and everything else is great too, but I think those are the most interesting uh, parts to talk about specifically. Well, you know, and just like Wildlife that we watched last week, this is absolutely a character-driven movie, and it has a larger cast, but it's it's driven by its characters, it's driven by its acting. Mm -hmm. I think that all of the filmmaking was great. I don't think anything was lacking in that department. I had no complaints. But that's, when you go into a movie like, this you're looking at the acting you're looking at the characters you're looking at the dialogue and you know particular compliments to the dialogue in this movie too there's there's really good dialogue here and i want to say i want to add to these characters made me interesting interested enough that i would i would like to read the novel that the movie was adapted from because my understanding is that these characters are given more depth and explored on a deeper level. So I'm really intrigued to give that a read. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely good to, every now and then, you know, watch something based on a book that's not uh, bad. <laughs> uh, obviously, this, this film takes a lot of liberties, and it's, it's very different, but I think that's also what makes it uh, uniquely interesting and, and uh, important. So, so Kobe, if you if you're gonna give it a rating, what would you give it? Um, actually, this used to be one of my um, one of my five stars, but uh, I think on reflection, this isn't at all a negative thing. Um, I just I think I've seen a lot more films now. Uh, it's still definitely a four and a half for me. I'd say. Yeah, I feel exactly the same way about it. I'm at a four and a half. Sorry to copy you again. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, it's a, I think it's a really good critique on the ways that we misunderstand mental health 
and how we treat mentally ill people, you know, like the, the way that these characters are being treated in this facility is really, really, really draconian by today's standards. And it's obvious even now that we have a lot of misunderstandings about mental health and the way we treat mental health. I mean, the mental health crisis in the United States alone is horrible. And it's not a topic that gets discussed nearly enough. It's a topic that it seems like a great deal of people feel a level of shame in discussing. And, and this movie, it, it wears these characters on its sleeve. It wears mental health on its sleeve. And all of this in 1975 when people would have accepted it even less than today. Yeah, I mean, socially. I, I think we can thank God that we don't lobotomize people like <laughs> yeah. this anymore. It's it's weird how how much it stands up to today's standards. Obviously, um, we don't lobotomize people, as you said, thank God. Um, but... Although, you know what? I will say, I heard a story recently. Uh, there was this, it started as kind of like an urban legend thing in China where people were hearing screams from certain buildings in, in various Chinese cities. Well, it, it turns out that it isn't an urban legend or it wasn't an urban legend that there were these mental health facilities that were administering electroshock therapy to patients that were in for very simple mental health issues and like basically torturing them and I, this, I, I don't, I read this story a long time ago, so I don't have all the facts in front of me. I, I wish I did. It was really dark, and I, a lot of what was happening uh, was completely illegal, but weirdly accepted in Chinese society. And, you know, it, it kind of caused them to take a look at things, but my understanding is that the, the doctor who was administering the therapy is still doing it, you know, again, illegally, but no one does anything about it. <laughs> there's there's definitely a crisis on mental health and um, sort of the bounds that we're willing to go to try to mess with people's minds. Um, I think some aspects of it are good in theory, trying to find the best possible solution but obviously a lot of people take it too far and it's depressing that that's still something that goes on today absolutely in a lighter note i would feel like i would be failing our listeners if uh we did not mention the uh always sunny uh one flew over the cuckoo's nest reference in Season 4, Episode 10, Frank, obviously played by Danny DeVito, just as Martini in this movie, winds up in a mental health facility, and pretty much everything that happens in that sequence of events, it's a very funny episode in general, but anyway, everything that happens with Frank in this episode is a direct reference to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. <laughs> And they, of course, like completely almost one-to-one -one recreate the ending by having, I, I looked this up earlier just to be sure, the son of the man who played Chief play this 
impossibly huge Native American man and pull a water bubbler out of the ground and throw it out the window so Frank can escape. <laughs> they use the same music. Frank runs into the woods while the credits play. It's it's really, really great. Always Sunny is, has to be one of my favorite comedies on TV. And the fact that, you know, they, they know they have Danny DeVito in here and they can tie it back with, like, such love and care to this classic, classic movie is is really wonderful. Yeah, it must have been must have been great to relive that. I feel like um, Danny DeVito talks about this role a lot, like very very fondly. Yeah, well, and uh, you know, one of the simpler characters in the movie, but Danny DeVito brought her like a really like <laughs> a wholesome. This character's constantly smiling and generally lighthearted, <laughs> like I was talking about earlier. And Danny DeVito in real life seems like a great guy. And he seems like he's probably one of the more in touch and grounded Hollywood actors. So I can totally imagine that he has a lot of respect and love for every role that he's played. And, and you know, I think he probably had a, a real kick out of, out, out of doing that reference. I, I can fully imagine that. Anyway... Um, yeah, so One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Great movie. Uh, yeah, great, great, great movie on mental health. Uh, that's about all we got, folks. This was episode five of the Synchronicity Podcast. I'm Destin. I'm Kobe. And we're signing off. See you guys later.